Hi guys, KO here. We have an awesome one for you today with David Orozco. He is a registered dietitian and I initially met him at PodFest. He came on on our live cast very briefly. So now we've got him in a more formal setting and he is busting up some food myths. He's talking about food and culture, why we view the view food the way we do as Americans um, and our relationship food, good food. We talk about food and race, food and gender, bariatric surgery, and he even gives five things that he thinks every human needs and I couldn't agree more. Listen in to the end when he talks about his overall goals and how important connection is with, you know, not only our relationship with food, but with people in general. This is a great one for looking to live a better way. Enjoy. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. Today I have David Orozco. Uh, he is a registered dietitian. Welcome, David. I'm going to read your bio here in a second, but I'm very excited. Yeah, great. Thank you for coming today. Um, we did a cast prior on his uh, platform, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Right. But cool. without further ado, here's David's background. David is a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's in nutrition and health science from Georgia State University. He is certified intuitive eating counselor, exercise physiology, and quit smart smoking secession, and is fluent in Spanish. David is the owner of TD Wellness LLC and believes in food as medicine, balance in life, and in building positive relationships. His passion in nutrition and well-being is rooted in the harmony of mind, body, and the spirit. And with a little hard work, his clients can achieve a place of harmony. David also loves to cook, travel, and relax with his family. And he teaches indoor cycling, loves to hike, bike, and he holds the rank of Sedan, third degree black belt in the Japanese martial art of Aikido. Welcome. We're here. Um, can we dive right into the nutrition piece? Yeah, let's do it, man. I, I'm, I love it. Are you kidding me? Rock it. I love it. So tell me, I'm a longtime athlete, fitness human. What was, give me a little <laughs> bit of your background and, and why nutrition kind of captured your heart and why that was your calling in life. Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I, like you, have been a recreation, not a collegiate athlete, but a recreational athlete for many, many, many years. Uh, I did a lot of high school sports, of course, but uh, in college, I did more intramural stuff. So I never, ever got a scholarship or anything or anything like that. But I did many years of martial arts, and I also did um, a lot of mountain biking. Uh, and uh, yeah, Aikido was just my jam for so long. When I graduated college, I was just in it on a regular basis. I, I started while I was in college, and then it uh, continued on until my late 20s and, and early 30s. And um, I wasn't in nutrition at that point. I had a gra I graduated from Georgia State um, with an undergraduate degree in biology because I thought maybe I wanted to get into research or biochemistry or maybe medicine. But uh, uh, as it turned out, the family was calling my name. And <laughs> actually, I, you couldn't say no to mom. Mom said, David, we want you to run the travel agency. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do travel. But you know what? I said, yep, okay. I don't have a job, so why not? I did that for like nine years, and I was miserable in it. I just, oh, I didn't like it. Don't get me wrong. The travel, man, that was the bomb. I loved it, but I just hated doing it for anybody else. Sure, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. But then um, what actually happened was sort of a sequence of events, um, which is something that I work a lot with my clients as well, too, is, you know, seeing these sequence events that can build up. And what started happening was 
there was first this breakup with a girl and uh, that hit me hard. And then I started getting into bad relationships and I just was a little lost. I was in a job that I really didn't want to do. And then it hit harder. Mom was diagnosed with cancer. And that's when things really started turning around. And then it was 2001 and 9-11 happened. And wow. so I was like, where am I? What am I doing in life? Where am I going? What is this? What's going on? And uh, I said, you know what? I've been reading diet books and nutrition books and self-help books. I even went two years and decided that's it. I'm giving up soda. I'm giving up coffee. I'm giving up my relationships, meaning I'm just going to stop dating. So I kind of went on a a two-year Zen um, celibacy kind of thing. And, uh, and then my, my, my mind just went, hey, I'm going to go and get an, um, a master's in nutrition. I mean, I've been doing this for a while. I might as well really do it right. And I started looking at programs and I mean, I hustled. It was just, it was, I was fed up. It was sort of like an early midlife crisis and man, I, I jumped on it. And, uh, and it was great. It was wonderful. But um, while I started my program, my mother had passed away oh. and... Yeah, that hit hard. That really, really hit hard. But it also made me realize, wow, you know, I really got to take care of my health because this is a genetic problem. You know, she had diabetes. She was obese or higher weight. She um, had uh, colon cancer, as I mentioned. And so all of those are um, uh, inherited diseases, uh, chronic diseases. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make a change. But I uh, got my degree, met my wife in program, and um, I knew I wanted to start a, a business, but I needed to get some experience. So I started my first couple of years as a bariatric dietitian, which means I worked with people doing bariatric surgery, which is stomach surgery. My 600-pound life is one of my favorite shows. I'm <laughs> but I, I love it because I'm fascinated by the transition, and I have some critiques on it because they don't get to like the mental portion to like weigh in, and I'm like, Where's that come from? Oh, I've I've got a I'm glad that you're saying I got a lot of critiques about it as well. <laughs> yeah. But the transformation, you see the lifestyle and then some yes. of the commonalities with, you know, it's a lot of sexual assault and yes. it's really interesting. It's a preview into a totally different world. So, anyways, I don't want to copy your flow, yeah. but no, 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 no. That's fine. Whenever you want, jump in because I think it really does speak to a lot of the things that you're gonna talk uh, that I'm gonna talk about as well. So yeah, whenever. Um and so I started at Emory Bariatrics and I worked there for about two years and I don't like working for someone. Uh, I just, I didn't do well. I'm with so, you there. <laughs> so I started my business and it was a slow tick trickle of, of work that came in here and there. But um, I'm fortunate now, uh, 15 years later, to have a full on practice with clinicians and, um, and I see various clients. My jam, my love is working with intuitive eating for people of higher weight. And notice I'm using the word higher weight versus, you know, the classic obesity or overweight. Um, I'm assuming that uh, just some evolved conversation. I'm a comm major and many years ago, Uh, but you see how (laughs) powerful words are. And then in English language, they become updated because of societal and cultural, um, I want to say expectations, which is good, but yeah. we have to evolve our language around. Too, so yeah, uh, the power of words is amazing, but the power of tone is also equally as challenging, you know. And I think that that sometimes the words draw out tone, which is the stigma of weight. 
So that's where my love is. My passion is, is working with people that, you know, want to build a more peaceful relationship with food and eating. And uh, kind of like what I mentioned when I had you on my show, you know, I'm not one to, to, to judge people for what they're eating. I, I rather look at what you're doing and say, hey, okay, is this working for you? Do you want to do it this way? And, and if it is, then okay, let's, let's figure that out. So that's really my, my, my love, my passion. Um, and uh, I also work with uh, a lot of people with eating disorder too. So anorexia, bulimia, orthorexia, binge eating disorder, um, and other conditions as well. That's amazing. And um, I'm curious to know, what is like the average age of your client? And I have a follow-up question, but... Yeah, good question. That's uh, my average age, I would say, is between 30 and 60, 65. Oh, okay. Um, And the reason I ask that is because I'm really passionate about youth nutrition and having these conversations really early on so our young humans really understand uh, the power and the impact of what we're consuming every single day from fuel to media to other things. Um, but it's, it's, if you can kind of learn early on, I really think our young people are open-minded to making changes and understanding what it is. And then from there that we kind of enter my arena of marketing and branding and understand what we're really being sold, even from brands we've trusted for years that claim to be healthy and they're not really. Um, but you start really empowering the people at an early age with knowledge. So then you're not dealing with it 30, 40, 50, 60. Um, so what, what to you is early age? What, what what age group would you be considering talking to more I mean, or less? I, I wish, you know, there was more life skills in a more life skills curriculum in schools in, you know, kindergarten where you're talking about nutrition, relationships, um, mm. finance, you know, obviously. Yeah, no, it's not there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. There, there, I mean, algebra is great, but I can't tell you the last time I, you know, needed pie or something like that. Yeah, um, no to, to eat a pie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Un, unintentional pun there. Um, I, food I think, puns will come out like crazy. So don't worry. <laughs> it's Friday. We've already had kind of a rocky start. So we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> usually tend to be my favorite conversations, but yeah, I, I think little, you know, tidbits of those information, pieces of information, life skills at every single age level would be phenomenal. And I ran lacrosse camps for years and we would bring out nutrition bars and our kiddos would look at the labels and they were, I don't know, five to 10 years old. They were young. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I um, tried working with kids at a certain point in my career, and uh, or I, 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 when I say kids, you know, there are different subsets. When we said kid, when we say kids, there's infants, toddlers, um, uh, uh, children, uh, uh, adolescents, or teenagers, and then young adults. And that's kind of the way they're grouped in the, at least in the nutrition world or the the healthcare world. Um, I've tried working with, uh, like teenagers and kids and I just, it, I'm not very good at it. And so I just rather not do it, but I agree with you hundred percent. I really do think that it's extremely important to get early at this. One of the, 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 the ways I, I work around that, not work around it, but one of the things that I add or contribute to is more of a family nutrition style. When an individual comes to see me and I know that they are parents um, I'm telling them whatever you're doing, you can't do yourself. You you shouldn't do by yourself. You shouldn't be eating something separate that your family's gonna eat. And that happens so many times. Yeah. You know, I get so many people will say, Well, I'm eating like this, my family doesn't eat like this. I'm like, why? <laughs> if you're eating like this, then you shouldn't be eating like this because if your family's not gonna eat it, then that's not really what we need to be doing. What we need to be doing is looking at, okay, well, what does your family do? What do you do? Because then what that does 
is it starts isolating people. I mean, think about it, just to digress a little bit. If I go on a diet, which by the way, I despise diets, but if, um, if you go on a diet, what ends up happening is you can socially isolate yourself and not even realize it. I'll give you an example. You know, if I'm going to go out with friends and I'm a vegetarian and they're going to a pub and, you know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a pub, you know, they got um, grilled meats and burgers and, and the vegetarian for them is a salad, then you're going to feel that. You're going to feel that isolation. You're going to feel that. And then so in the future, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I don't want to go out with these guys or, oh, I, you know, I don't want to do that. And so that then pushes a wedge between the people that you're friends with. In fact, I, that happened to me early on when I, uh, my friends in, in Aikido, I mean, these, these guys I love very much. And in fact, I'm going hiking with them next weekend. And I would do that. I'm like, man, that guys, I can't eat that. That's horrible for me. Or I would even say to them sometimes, hey, you, you shouldn't be eating that. And what started happening was, happening was they didn't want to hang out with me anymore. They're like, nah, Dave, we're tired of hanging out with you. They didn't say it, but you know, it was one of those things. You just wouldn't get invited anymore. <laughs> you know, so the environment is so critical. I think, and if you talk to um, anyone, whether it's about nutrition or maybe alcohol or even you know fitness, if it's too much of one thing or the the environment around you isn't supportive of what you're in pursuit of, it becomes really hard. And like just like you said, it drives a wedge in what's going on. So you really do need some balance there of the environment and the humans around you, family, friends, roommates, whatever, to support what you're doing. 100%. Uh, yeah. Work, especially if you're young and you're a kid trying to do something or, you know, a, a, even a younger parent, I think it's, it's really, really hard. And it's unnecessary really to do it that way. But, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I often tell people, uh, that, um, humans, us people who need five basic things, or we have to do these five things every single day. It's sort of a play off of Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, sort of, it, it picks up on a little bit of all of the pieces in the pyramid, but it's funded really founded mainly in, in, in the, the bottom part. Right. So I tell people, number one, we have to eat. I mean, you can't live without eating. So number one, we have to eat every day. Number two, um, we have to move. We have two legs and two arms. At least most of us do. We have two legs, two arms. And even if you don't, you still want your body needs to move. So we need to move. And number three, we need to sleep. Number four, we always have to go to the bathroom. It, it, I mean, that's the, that's the most, you can't not go to the bathroom, right? And then number five, we need to connect. And so if you're having an eating, an approach to eating that decreases the ability to connect with people, then you're, again, you're driving a wedge into the basic needs that we have. And then no one need is more important than the other. They all influence each other in one way or another. And so I find that to be you know, a, fun, a foundation of a lot of what I do. It, it, this is the same thing with health. You know, it, health to me doesn't mean eating a salad. Health means I feel good. And there's a lot of ways to getting to feeling good. <laughs> yeah, completely you know? agree. And if, and if anyone's new to this conversation, I actually think watching an episode of My 600 Pound Life is good on, on this side because you can see how you know they're given this really intense, strict diet and then in their environment, nine times out of 10, they're you know eating the traditional whatever you want. You insert you know human that needs to follow this diet that wants to lose weight. And it's almost impossible because everyone's eating fast food around them. You know, the psychological situation is still happening. I mean, it's, it's almost fail-proof. Um, and I will say there are a few that do pull through. It's pretty miraculous. Um, and then they when, you, when you say pull through, what do you mean? Because I haven't watched the show, believe it or not. 
Oh, they have, um, uh, they've lost weight and they'll, they'll come in, they'll start to lose weight on their own. Then they'll perform the bariatric surgery. They'll lose, you know, a, a lot of weight and then they'll continue on. And some, usually the families, the successful ones will, will change and do the diet with them. Some won't. And then some people, the very few, I think in the beginning of the show, it says less than 5% are successful, meaning they lose, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, or get to their target weight. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's pretty, again, the transformation and the journey of it is, it's fascinating to me to see, but a mm-hmm. lot of times, most of them are not successful because they go back to their normal environment. And I think you can say the same conversation with alcohol or, you know, if you're training to be a, a superior athlete or whatever, if you go back to these environments that are part of the initial problem, it's really, really, really hard to be successful. Um, yeah. You know, let me, let me talk a little bit about bariatric surgery. I, I have this uh, love-hate relationship with it. Um, and what I mean by that is if a client comes to me and they are dead set in getting the surgery, I have to work with them the best way that I can. I'm not going to dissuade a person not to do it. Um, I don't think it, they are necessary though. That's, that's really fundamental to my, my, my belief. Yeah. And here's what I mean. You could be healthy at any size. And Uh, That's what I mean a little while ago. Now, um, here's another challenge that I see. I I have in one year probably anywhere from 20 to 25 clients who have had bariatric surgery. And there may be two, five, 10 years out. And they're coming back to me because they've gained the weight back. Yeah. And the stigma that, that that our society has on weight is so strong that one of, one of the things that I try really hard to do with clients uh, or anybody that I, I'm with is to make them realize that your weight is not um, a definition of your self-worth. Your, your weight is not what defines you. Your weight <clears throat> is what it is, but you can live a very happy or not, I wouldn't say happy, but you can live a very enjoyable life. And yeah, there are problems with excess weight and they need to probably be addressed, but they're not necessarily addressed because, uh, or they shouldn't be addressed strictly by losing the weight. And so that's where people and I sometimes have a hard time with it, yeah. The thing about my six my six hundred pound my six hundred pound life um, is that it's a show. It's and, you know, and they they want you to see it, and so they often sensationalize it a little bit, which brings in that emotional piece. And I understand that. I think that that is helpful and necessary because it brings attention to the to to the issue. But what's not being said is that we often have this stigma on weight and you can see these people and yes, the transformation is great. When they have that transformation, my thinking is they've always had it inside them. Yeah. They've always had it inside them. So it's maybe to me, maybe it's a matter of, can we find another way of getting that transformation? That's kind of where I'm going with that. Well, I agree. And if they know the success rate is that poor and they keep doing the same in puns recipe to address these, I think there has to be an updated. The thing that the, my main gripe about the show is that there's deep commonalities with, you know, sexual assault or trauma and yes. it's associated food is the coping mechanism. Right. And then they, they don't offer any point of therapy, which even talk therapy. Beautiful have. said, beautifully said. Absolutely. 100%. You're so right. Well, and they don't get to the talk to like the actual issue of why we are eating the way we're eating. Um, 
until like usually post-surgery. And then it's if oh, we still, now we're st- not losing the weight we need to because of the caloric cutback and the surgery. So now we're going to address the mental side. I'm like, this should have been happening, you know, before we even talk about cutting our bodies open. Um, yeah. I'm not a doctor. This is just my, <laughs> my <laughs> well, uh, for, for clarity's sake though, I, I will say they actually don't cut people open anymore. They do it all laparoscopically. Oh, which right. Sorry, I shouldn't say that, but, he, yeah. but it's still surgery, you know, it like, is, it is without longer. a doubt. Yeah. 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 And it's major surgery too. It's yeah. not simple surgery. Yeah, it is. They, they even show the, like, the scopes and it's, right. it's pretty amazing what they do without a full incision. Um, right. But anyways, yes, it's the whole thing just to know that you're going through this big surgery. And usually the traumas are, it's really intense trauma. So to know that that's not addressed at all, that that's the piece. That's my main gripe of it of like this, there's a reason this is happening and we're not addressing what the root of the issue is. So of course, when you don't address that, then, you know, two, 10 years, two to 10 years later, it's, you're right back where you started. Yeah. So a couple of things that I want to pull on that. I think that you're really um, hitting a very, very important point, And that is. Uh, trauma is one major thing. We've talked about this on our uh, when you came on my show, and that is that there are two forms of trauma. There is the traumatic events in our lives, like a car accident or abuse or sexual neglect or um, you know whatever. Uh, there is that kind of stuff where you know it's intense and it's an impact in your life at one period of time. But then there's also that ma- micro traumatic event, like for example, you're being bullied or you're not part of a group or your parents are telling you. That you're not worthy or you've got to be a perfectionist or you're being told one thing or another. And so that starts creating a self-narrative in our heads. And that, that micro-traumatic, those, I should say, those micro-traumatic events in life really also create a situation where it's very, very difficult to maneuver through because those, those are the wirings that, that we have in our heads. And, and that kind of show really starts opening that up. It's like, oh, we really got to get to the heart of this. I, I had a, a dentist on my show and she does oral mouth appliances to help people with their sleep. Because you know, sleep to me is another big piece of, of working with clients. And she was talking um, about um, how it's actually covered by medicine. It's not a dental procedure, it's a medical procedure. So medicine, your insurance is going to cover it, not your dental insurance. And I was like, oh, well, you know, that's fascinating. And I said, when did we ever get to this? I'm going to separate de- uh, dental from eye, from your health, and then your mental health. How is that? How are they not interrelated as one piece of the human? So right. it's always good to know that we, you know, uh, people of higher weight don't gain the weight because they're, they're eating, you know, God awful amounts of food they consume sometimes very little. I mean, they're not, a lot of people I work with don't eat a whole lot, yeah. you know? And so people don't understand it's, you know, again, it's that negative weight stigma that's just really infiltrated in our, in our um, societal lexicon. I, I agree. And that's where I, I mean, kind of to even tie this back to like youth and nutrition, I wish we could start mm. these conversations in different doses at, you know, earlier levels. So by the time, you know, they're getting up there and people are our ages or older, or what have you, they, they have some background knowing that, you know, marketing and things we see and we're, you know, consuming media at an all time high at this point, you know, this is driving our culture and, and what we think is beautiful. So we can question that. And then we can have some conversation around, even if it looks this way, it doesn't mean that they are healthy or if they're super thin, that doesn't mean that they are healthy. Oh it, yeah, exactly. It goes, it goes both ways. Yeah. But more, as you just said, again, the market's driving 
I think some of these wellness pieces apart, dental, eye, general health, where it is a collective whole, because if one of those is out, then you're not happy. Um, right. or, you know, that, that mental. So even if you're checking all the boxes, you're not happy within it. It's, you can look great. And I see this in fitness all the time. Everyone looks like, yeah, I just, <laughs> I just got referred a client. Yeah. I just got referred a client and she's like, well, I don't know if I want to do this. I mean, I've worked with a dietitian before and you know, meal plans are just not my thing, but you know, my, my, um, insurance company suggested I get in touch with you. And I, I was telling her, look, I'm not going to focus strictly on giving you a meal plan. In fact, I probably never will give you a meal plan. I want to get to the reason why you're eating. And she's like, Oh, wow, you're in my head. (laughs) You know, there's, there is, yeah, there is a whole of the person and we can't exclude one or the other. So I work closely with other therapists, sleep therapists. I work with um, dentists. I work with uh, physicians. I work with um, uh, counselors. Um, my wife and I are dietitians as well, or she's a dietitian as well, but she works at a children's hospital. So we jokingly say, I'll take care of the parents. You take care of the kids. <laughs> yeah, seriously though. That's amazing. You attack yeah. in all angles. Yeah. Um, well, and again, I think that serves both of you guys having your home environment being so conducive to, you know, your work. I don't know if that can get too close at times. I think working with, even with family that's doing something similar can get, yeah. I don't yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that might be a double-edged sword, but I, I think it's, that's really cool. That you can come to the dinner table and, you know, talk about your day and really understand what the other person's doing, like from, yeah. you know, a deep emotional space. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, segued, we segued heavily there, but um, yes. I want to <laughs> get back to the, you know, your journey because I think these podcasts and how, you know, kind of disrupting, if you will, traditional marketing avenues, uh, really just getting the voices out there of people of what they're doing, questioning a better way. How does the, the podcast, because because leaning into marketing, leaning into school, sometimes that's just not working and we've got to get out there. How is the podcast uh, supplementing your wellness business? I mean, is this a platform to cover more topics or to inform people? How is it supplementing what you're doing? Oh, so, so, so profoundly in in so many different ways. Uh, Let me give you a couple of simple or a few simple ones. Number one, it reaches so many people that I couldn't reach otherwise. One of the biggest barriers um, for me to be able to help people is insurance. And so many people either don't have insurance or are uninsured. Um, and the insurance that people do have, they're not very, very good in regards to um, covering nutrition services. So I'll give you an example. Uh, they may have insurance, but they're underinsured. And so their insurance might not even cover nutrition services. Or they, the vast majority of insurance plans only cover up to three visits. There is not much that you can do in three visits. <laughs> right. You know, it's just... It's just, there's so much to go and so much to, to work on. So that's one way. The podcast really helps me reach an audience that I wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Secondly, I also think it's important to, to let people know my view, my approach, and that is a anti-diet, um, making peace with food, building a, happy, a, a healthier relationship with food and eating type of approach. And it's not about, hey, I'm going to give you a diet or I'm going to tell you that this food is better for you than the other. I think intuitively, we all know that a fruit and a vegetable is not the same as a chocolate bar. Right. <laughs> totally. You know, 
I don't know if you need a dietitian to tell you that, though. Right, right. <laughs> you know? So the podcast helps me in that regard is to help uh, set that message. But it also helps in other ways, too. It helps promote the practice a little bit more. And it's a great opportunity to get points of view like what we just discussed, you know, that mental, psychological component, that emotional component that so people really, so few people really actually pay attention to. The other thing too is I get few men that come into my office, about 60% of my practice is female gender. And and um, I just don't often see enough men. And so men have a, a little bit of a skewed approach to their nutrition than, than women. Fundamentally, what I'm trying to say is that men aren't as emotionally attached um, or not attached, as emotionally connected to themselves as women are. Um, and so men try to work through tough it out, discipline, hardcore, and they, you know, they try to ug it out. And yeah, it's, it's a lot more difficult so that my podcast allows me to give that kind of approach um, to men that I otherwise wouldn't be able to get. I, I love that. And I think uh, podcasts are, you know, more, they're yeah. more downloaded than ever. It, it's spreading like wildfire. And I think it's so great. And I love that it really allows you to use your voice exactly the way you want to. There's no filter whatsoever. Yeah, so right. It's, it's literally direct to consumer. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting what it is. And then I will say that, you know, there are millions of podcasts out there. So the consumer has to be somewhat savvy to filter some things out. Um, Sure. It's one of the good guys though. Uh, <laughs> it, it, the nutrition is is so huge. And, you know, we've got CV19 where mm -hmm. we've got to pull back. You see the health companies and so many of the business side that's just taking full advantage. So there's so many reasons that the consumer, we as Americans, as humans need to really get in touch with what we're doing and can control whatever we can control. So we don't have yep. to lean on some of these failing systems and nutrition in my eyes is one of the most important things. Yes. Um, I didn't have this in some of our initial questions, but uh, you know, mm -hmm. given that we are we are with the conversation around race today, which is very late to the game, mm -hmm. but I'm so thankful it's happening now. You see how CB19 was disproportionately impacting uh, minority yes. communities, and I think nutrition is a huge conversation on that. You get into food deserts and whatnot. Um, I'm curious to you: Do you see a diverse group of clientele, or is it primarily white people, if you will? Um, what is that like for you? Yeah, no, I'm fortunate. I do see a good variety, a good mix of people. Um, pro uh, approximately 65% of my clients are black. And I have a very small percentage of uh, Latinx clients, um, some that speak Spanish some, or that only speak Spanish and some that are bilingual like myself. And then I, uh, of course, the, the other would be white, but even within that, I also have other um, ethnicities, Indian, Pakistani, uh, African, a lot of different African countries. Um, I probably don't see a whole lot of maybe Western Europeans, um, hmm, okay. but, but that's, that's the mix. And then um, a, a trickle here and there of maybe people from other Asian cultures. Oh, I, I love to hear that. Because as you, you mentioned Maslow's hierarchy, you know, you have your basic needs. And if these bottom needs aren't being met, you can't even get to that you no. know, actualization point. So yes. if, 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 you know, if you don't have money, then you can't really be questioning yes. what carbohydrates I'm eating. <laughs> you know, you're just... Yes. Yeah. So um, I've been 
passionate and down the road, I'd really love to get more into youth nutrition and then spreading the gospel of nutrition into um, lower economic socio-status communities, because I think that is the first piece of taking charge of your life and your health. And yeah. on. Um, yeah. But anyways, that's great to hear. That really makes me excited that yeah. uh, you have a diverse clientele. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I I I would love to have more diverse uh, dietitians. One of the the downsides of our profession is that, um, well, first, it's a female dominated profession. So I'm a minority, uh, two ways. I I'm a minority in that I'm Latinx or Latino male, and then I'm also a male. And so ninety, we're about ninety two, ninety one percent female dominated. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. Okay, David. Okay. Snap. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, uh, I think we're about eighty-five, eighty-three percent white. Uh, wow. White okay. female. That so, doesn't surprise me, but I did know it was that disproportionate as far as male, female. Interesting. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's hugely disproportionate. I think it has a little to do with the history behind being the provider of nutrition in, in the family would often fall on the woman and not the man. Okay. Um, but that actually in the history of the United States probably has changed in different eras and different um, cultural uh, settings. So um, yeah, it's always interesting. I, I think that that's probably where it stems from the most. Do you think my mom and brother, uh, shout out to them, own a swim school, Colorado Clownfish, and yeah. they're about seven years in the game. They've, they've been extraordinarily successful, and it's, they, they pack life skills in with learning yeah. how to swim and whatnot. It's really cool. Um, but they have, over the years, they've seen more and more dads bring their kids to swimming lessons because dads oh, are yeah. um, Do you think over time, because now that dads are taking, uh, they're having more roles in, I guess, within the house, that that'll shift on your end as a dietitian? Have you guys no. seen no. I don't think so. No, okay. I, I I don't think so. I think that there has to be a concerted effort to get more men into the into the profession. I will tell you that it's unfortunate that you know nutrition isn't a a profession where most people will go. Oh, I'm going to make a lot of money. So I think it has a lot more to do with the money. And until we see a good return on investments, a very strong return on investment, like for example, you graduate and you're making 70, 80 grand a year, like you would if you were an engineer or an architect, then no, we're not going to see that change where more men come into the field because not a lot of men are going to be able to come in and do what I do. For example, no, not, not too many people are just going to want to start their own business. Right. And so the other thing too, is that our profession, our education is up to the graduate level. So uh, it also inhibits a lot from a financial standpoint, the ability to, to get that money paid back. So again, it's a huge time and investment. Um, I think that's also another podcast episode where we can talk about the education system too, but, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. but yeah, that, that's probably the reason why we don't, we, one of the reasons that right now, I don't, I don't think I'll, we'll see that many more men. What I do see though, is a lot of men that jump into the eating, <clears throat> sorry, the cooking world mm-hmm. and where a lot more people on social media or on YouTube, um, men will start creating dishes you know, there is a, 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 a it's, it's interesting when it's nutrition, it's more female related, but when it's cooking or being a chef, we, we see this and we envision a man, you know, in a restaurant, you know, Gordon Ramsay or, um, yeah. yeah, right. And so it's, so it's, so it's interesting. So I do see that, but we also see the glamour in that. And I think that that's, that's the, that's the thing. I often tell people that a lot of what I do is trying to sell a boring 
I was trying to make something boring glamorous. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit, I guess, of a wannabe nutrition nerd. I, I know a little bit just because, again, my own experience, we talked about yeah. in the podcast. Um, but I really think the more people lean in and learn how much you can control. I've had friends, you know, cure rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, um, depression. There's so many things that food is linked to and gut brain connect. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so much, I just think the more you're out there talking about it and people can see this is something I can control every day by one small bite at every little meal with one little decision of how powerful that is. Mm-hmm. I think it's huge. And I will say with social media podcasting and where our world's at, I think the consumers, our young humans are going to be continue to get more and more savvy and more and more passionate about this. And I would, I would think your business is only going to grow. And I start to see men, you know, just simply put being more emotional, being more in touch, being the stay at home dads. Um, I think that shift is happening. I don't know if they'll become dietitians like you just said, cause I do think the in time and energy and monetary investment is huge. Um, but I think there's some massive societal shifts and I, I just think nutrition will be more heavy of a conversation than it's ever been very shortly. I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, I don't think uh, the conversation on nutrition has actually died down at all. You're, right. you're right. And it picks up and it keeps picking up every day. So I'm with you on that. Um, but I, I'll, I'll be with you 100% if you want to cheerlead for us. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. No, I, I, I am. I could, because I do think you can get wound down this hole of insurance and health issues. And then when you're on the really serious side, even around like cancer, which I'm sorry for the loss of your mom. That's huge. Um, I think it's cool. You can pull out the positive and then, you know, use that as an an, an inspirational force for what you do now. Um, particularly (laughs) the school bills and everything else. Um, but I think that's huge to have that driving motivation in your background. Um, once you get down to, it's one thing to wake up every day and want to feel healthy. It's another, when you're facing an issue like cancer or chronic disease, right? you really need an answer. And there's, I mean, I've had many family members go down a rabbit hole trying to figure out something and it's just appointment after appointment after appointment. And it could be a misdiagnosis. It could be this, or you're, you have a, you have an allergy, you cut one thing out and you're, you're better. Um, yeah. And so this is another reason why I, I really love the podcast because it gives me an opportunity to demystify things, to break a lot of, uh, you know, um, culture of misinformation and breaking that diet mentality. So we, 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 we get away from what people have to do and more of what people need to do and want to do in a way that's in line with people's values. And so I have the podcast offers that opportunity to work with clients a lot more. Um, so the other thing too about the podcast is a lot of people don't know that this is a lot of work. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, podcasting is, whew, it's a lot of work. Um, and so there's love in this. I'm doing it because yeah. I love it. Because if, if somebody said, Hey, I think I'm going to start my nutrition degree or my career in podcasting, I'll say, okay, but know that it's not, you know, you get on a phone, a microphone and Oh, you're ready to go. No, it's a lot, it's a lot more than that. But, yes. um, I love it. I mean, it's a great, great medium to deliver the, this very message. In, this, in particular, you were kind of talking about prevention. And I think that that's so important. Prevention is so key because by the time a person already has cancer, like my mother, it's not really the time to work on making the best diet ever. You got to make the best diet so that you can create a, a at least one less problem that's going to maybe increase the likelihood of you developing a chronic illness like that. 
You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I, I, yes, I guess absolutely. It's a labor of love. I've yet to monetize mine at any angle. That really wasn't the goal. Maybe at some <laughs> yeah. point I want to be clear to universe. And if you're an entrepreneur, it's alongside your business. Yes. Uh, but I will say I do, the fuel is also there because you do see how much impact is there and how easy that can be versus a paid commercial or something else traditional. Yeah, um, absolutely. On that note, you segued a little and then and went back, we'll come back to podcasting, but are there any major nutrition myths? And I know there are millions, <laughs> but any, any maybe one or two that you would love to disrupt or, or highlight right now? Yes. Let me do a, big, do a few. Okay. So carbohydrates do not make us fat. Okay. Hands down, do not make us fat. I tell this to anyone and everyone. The, 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 the food that we eat isn't the problem. It is the quantity and frequency that we eat that is the problem. I have never seen anybody eat even a sleeve of Oreo cookies and then wake up the next morning and see this belly. That just does not happen, right? It is not paying attention to what our body's needs and wants are. At the same time, being an intuitive eating counselor, it doesn't mean you can eat tons of pizza and just don't worry about it anymore. It's not that. It's being intuitive. It's using intuition to go, okay. So that's one very important one there is carbohydrates do not make us fat. Another one is diets do not work. That is hands down. Diets do not work. I'll give you an example. I have a list on um, my website, but I made a podcast episode just on that. Five different things. They're unsustainable. They're not science-based. They're not realistic, especially if they have some kind of supplement that's used, used in, in that. And if there is a celebrity component, all red flags to let you know. <laughs> Get it. Don't do it. Okay. So diets don't work. In fact, 95 research and over time has showed that 95% of people that go on diets either gain the weight back or gain more than when they started. So diets don't work. Okay. They may make you feel good at first. Let me also dis dispel another myth. The word clean does not mean anything. <laughs> Marketing. It is marketing because yeah. it's a new way of saying dieting. Yeah. And so um, uh, uh, Evelyn Triboli mentioned this in my episode 13 about intuitive eating. And she says, we're co-opting words to replace diet. So for example, clean eating, or when we're saying I'm eating healthy, well, what does that mean? Because I can eat healthy too, but what do you, what do you mean by healthy? That doesn't mean anything. So what we end up doing is we're we're inadvertently almost saying those things. So that's a myth that I want people to understand is when you use things like, oh, I'm a plant eater or I'm a vegetarian or I'm a vegan or I'm a, um, a paleoist, you're only actually putting out that information that's separating yourself from other people. So we're actually uh, in a society standpoint, we're separating ourselves. Another myth is... Um, uh, alcohol after a run. <laughs> Wait, what myth is this? Do I not know this? That it's good? Yeah. So the myth is uh, it, you should have a beer after a run. And you've never heard, you never heard of one? No, I just probably did it. Well, I'm not a beer drinker really, but anyways. Uh, and I got to say, David actually thought turmeric and tequila when he first said, yeah. that was some sort of like 
quick diet or something. And I, I hadn't heard that yet. So I love that. That actually like warms my heart. It's we're completely not that if anyone doesn't know. Um, yeah. But that's like, yeah. what's the beer in the run thing? Oh, well, so the idea is if, if you, if you ever done like races, 10 Ks, uh, or half marathons or, sure. or marathons, what people will always, well, not always, but some people will say, Oh, let's go get a beer after this. And, and it actually does, it's helpful, but the beer does have carbohydrate in it. So you're actually bringing carbohydrate back into your, your, your muscle, but then beer also has the alcohol. So it relaxes you. So you don't feel the pain as much. And no, so, yeah. yeah, so there is a benefit to it. Right. Right. But Beer after a run is not a good idea <laughs> for a couple of reasons. Number one, you can get addicted to alcohol, <laughs> and number two, it you 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 you're better off getting food than you are getting alcohol. So, yeah, you you do feel less pain, but I think what's really really important is that you can get the same benefit by having a nice meal after a good run versus using alcohol. So that's that's another one. Well, doesn't alcohol uh, delay the recovery process? Like it a, does. It's an a, exponential amount. Like it's, I think it's like twelve percent, or it's something significant, yeah. isn't it? It is. It is. And um, you gotta you gotta remember exactly what alcohol is. Alcohol uh, to the body is actually viewed like a toxin or a poison. The liver does, shuts everything down in order to filter out the alcohol, convert it into a sugar. And so it has to store it back into the, the liver. And so it converts it then into a triglyceride. So this is one of the reasons why a lot of people that are, well, people that, not a lot of people, but people that are alcoholics or have a drinking problem tend to have fatty liver or uh, liver disease because their liver is just overworked. Um, and yeah, alcohol is also a suppressant. I mean, it suppresses your system. And so you, you don't want to have a drug on a regular basis to do what food normally does. This is one of the reasons why in my bio, I, in, in my bio, I believe that food is medicine. So you let food do what it needs to do, not alcohol. Yeah. Um, another myth is protein does not make us lose weight. <laughs> that's, a, that's another one. It's like every once in a while, what were we going to say? No, I love it. That, yeah, you keep going. These are all yeah. perfect. Yeah. Uh, I, every once in a while, I get people uh, say, well, you know, I get a good protein in my diet. I get a good protein amount in my diet. I'm like, good. That's great. Maybe you're getting too much. <laughs> and they're like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, right. uh, another myth, a gallon of water um, should not be consumed by very many people. Oh, Okay. Uh, a lot of people will say, oh, you should consume at least a gallon of water a day. It's 128 ounces. It's, a lot, it's hard to do if you've ever Oh tried. my goodness. Absolutely. It's hard to do. Yeah. You know, that's 16, eight ounces of, 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 of water a day. And I tell people, look, what happens when you drink that much water? If you're not um, uh, careful, you're actually releasing your body is filtering out the good electrolytes along with any bad stuff. So yeah, you're 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 pushing out all the bad stuff with the good stuff. So so there are a few. These are all awesome ones. You kind of hit like all like the again the carbs. We've got you know Atkin human uh, Atkins yeah. um, paleo and your meat yeah. and your plant based. So you covered them. Thank that was that was perfect. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> um, what is and I love these myths. And on that note, what would be you know within the next five to ten years, what would be a major goal for you as a dietitian as like a point of impact? Like what would be not just like a goal and what you want to do with your business, but like as far as impact is, is influencing society to go the right direction, what would be the angle for you? 
Yeah, it's not very different from what I'm doing now. I want to get to a place where diets are not part of our cultural uh, lexicon. I don't want it to be a um, ongoing. Uh, in 10 years, I would hope that we would get to a place of um, peace and uh, building these positive relationships with food a lot like they they do in Western and Eastern European countries. You know, the relationship that they have with food is one of a symbiotic relationship. You know, we are part of the earth. The earth is a part of us. And we respect the food that we eat. I would like for us to get to that that point. And that's that's my goal. That's my my dream, my vision in life is to ultimately get people to to have this really great relationship where we're not only making food that is you know, more relationship to the earth. We're not overproducing things. Um, and we're not really putting in a lot of, um, and I got to be careful because I don't want to say that we do put a lot of chemicals into food, but, you know, where we're able to pay more attention to what we're doing to the earth. And so, yeah, that's a, you know, a combination of a lot of different things. I think Martin Luther King Jr. once said, when you sit down at the dinner at the, at the breakfast table, a uh, hundred hands have already fed you. It, you know, we, we need each other so 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 broadly and and so minutely. Uh, you know, especially around these um, protests and the civil unrest that we have. I wish people would understand that we are all a part of a, a, of a common world, and um, we need each other so much in so many different ways. Yeah, that's so well said. And I I, I completely agree with yeah. all of that. And that is one thing I really love about podcasting and the community in itself is how supportive everybody is. It literally lends a voice. And I don't know if you notice on the, this on your cast, but regardless of what my topics are, you know, nutrition or race or equality or whatever, you start to unpack our differences. And then by the end of the conversation, you see how similar you are outside of that one thing. Oh, without it's, a doubt. It's really yeah, cool. yeah. I mean, I I do realize that all of us have our individual ways, but we don't realize how much more similar we are than we are different. Yeah, you know, even if your skin's white and my skin is brown, my gosh, we have so many similarities. We bleed the same blood. We have the same organs. Our bodies work in the same ways. We really need each other in so many different ways. You know, yeah. so absolutely. and even just passions and conversation, nutrition and uh, oh, yeah. you know, things that we care about. It's it's. I love, I can't remember who it was, but they said, when you enter on common ground, it just opens up the door for everything else to really like communicate and bond, even if you look completely different or different. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, eating is a social uh, phenomenon. I mean, we as humans, from the moment we are born, we are eating socially, you know, or we're either attached to our mother's breast or someone is putting a bottle in our, in our mouths and holding it. We can't hold it. And you grow up eating socially, people around the dinner table, your friends, your family, um, your colleagues, your coworkers. And so that's the beauty. I mean, so many businesses and deals are done around food. Yeah. Right. I mean, gosh, it's just beautiful. It's, I mean, that's why I love nutrition so much. Yeah. I, again, I can talk about nutrition until I'm blue in the face. I love it so much because <laughs> it's just one of those things that, you know, it, it is in intertwine in the fabric of our lives in so many different ways. Yeah. So. I love, I would, I, at some point, and I love seeing you bleed the passion for what you do. Um, yeah. I'm on the business side because I'm passionate about businesses and it's not about making the dollar, but really about executing these companies that are doing things really the right way, because that's a major part of influence and the ripple effect of 
a better society, essentially, in, from my point of view. Um, so I love seeing people bleed what they do versus, you know, there's good margin in this or what have you. Um, and I know in, in dietitian, you got to really work. But on the flip side, the impact is so, and the ripple effect, you know, if you, one person in the family comes in and their family, the generations are teaching in a different way. Like it's, it's huge. So what you're doing is very important. We're, we're here to applaud that. Absolutely. I just had a, a session with a client and uh, I've been working with her for, I want to say uh, six, no, five months. And uh, she shows, you know, cause we're doing everything virtually because of CV-19, but she shows me her daughter. She goes, Oh, this is my daughter. And look at the sandwich that she's eating. And I'm like, Oh, look at all that green stuff. And she goes, David, you don't know how much you've influenced me, which has influenced my family. And that's the beauty of what I do. You know, if I am able to just one person, change the way they perceive and build that positive relationship to food and it's then influencing other people oh wow talk about a downward trickle effect right yeah huge. yeah and then that, huge. that navigates around the insurance companies and like everything yeah yeah Massive disruption um I really quick i want to ask why do you think american culture like you talk about these european countries and we're not having this really great relationship with food and you see obesity i mean you really don't see it definitely not compared compared to what we see in America. Why do you think American culture is the way it is? Like why do you think we view food we, we fundamentally I I I don't know the research behind it, but in my view and my experience is it's probably because in the United States we have a very capitalistic view on life. Number one. Number two, we also in the United States are um, driven by individualism. And so we have liberties and freedoms. And so we don't really connect well with society in, in, in the ways that other societies do. But don't get me wrong. It's because of our individual and capitalistic views that America is so powerful. We have driven so much. But I look at um, the 40s and the 50s. Aside from the racial segregation and bigotry and racism that existed, I think that our view on life was more communal, more community, more uh, societal. Now, that it, some people might start seeing that it might make me sound like I'm a socialist, but it's not so much that as much as I believe that we need each other. And so... We, we are so far away from, um, and I'm not talking about just the people in your church. I'm talking about people, you know, that brought the food to my table. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many um, migrant workers are pay, getting paid pennies to, to, to provide that delicious plate of food that's being brought to your table. Do we even realize that, you know? And that's kind of where I, I believe, I think that that's that, that you know, every man, every man from themselves, aim for the high hanging fruit. Oh, another pun. Um, <laughs> um, you know, uh, go big or go home. We have these sayings in the United States, and they're so driven by I and can do everything myself. And I think that's probably those two reasons are probably the reasons why our diets are probably the way they are. Mm, that's well said. I completely agree, and we're. We are driven by uh, individualism and yeah. <laughs> making yeah. But I think, again, our young people are coming and be like, okay, I've got the car, I've got the family, I've got this, and I still feel this disconnection. I mean, I still feel something, this lack of fulfillment. And yeah. I agree with you. I think 
we need community. We need the richness of life. It's not just about the money, the car, the rap video, the whatever you've been sold. Right. Uh, yeah. It's I, often, I often tell people, look, if there are things that are missing fundamentally, emotional, excuse me, um, remember that that one of those five needs connect. When we are missing that in life, accolades, appreciation, attention, love, kindness, when we're missing that in life, we often will use food as a supplement for it. Yeah. You know, it becomes a coping mechanism. That's yeah. why mental health, dental health, eye health, uh, body health, physical med- medical health, they are all interconnected in one way or another so profoundly that we really can't separate any of them. Oh, absolutely. Well, and a, a little example, if you're ever going to get like a major surgery, they'll make you fix anything dentist, uh, yeah. dentistry wise, because if you have infections or cavities, they don't want infection to get into your body. Right. So they know, they know it's connected <laughs> they just want yes. to monetize it accordingly, but right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate you. I, I want to be, we started a little late, so I want to be conscious of your time. Um, David, yeah, is thanks. there anything else like piece of advice, any other miss, any other like party? No, this is a platform to say whatever you want. So is there anything else you want to get out there? No, I mean, I think you asked all of the right questions, and I, I think I've, 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 you know, portrayed a lot of what my views really are, and I really appreciate for you. Uh, I really appreciate you allowing me to do that. Yeah, so I appreciate the time and energy, and genuinely, I appreciate your approach to nutrition and to life because I think if somebody comes to see you about nutrition, then you can lay down all this other wisdom and really open up the doors. That ripple effect is even further. So it warms my heart to see this is happening in our world. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we need, you know, a few million more of you, but I'll take one. <laughs> okay, I'll try cloning. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll, that'll be our next cast. Okay. Uh, where, where do we find you? Give me uh, Instagram handles, website, anything you want to share. Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Unfortunately, they're funny different names, but my website is tdwellness.com. My podcast is One Small Bite and my Instagram is david underscore tdwellness. And that's where you can probably find me best is on Instagram. Boom, IG, okay. Well, I appreciate you. Um, I should have this up within, I think, the next couple of weeks. Okay. Um, and uh, I'll get some details from you. I'll probably reread your bio. <laughs> but Okay, uh, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate you. And uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Are, do you plan on doing PodFest again next year? Absolutely, yes. Hopefully this COVID craziness is uh, a little behind us. And I, absolutely, I really enjoyed podcast. I mean, uh, PodFest. And yeah, uh, I probably will be there again. Absolutely. Well, if there's anything in the meantime that's helpful from my end to support the cats, to support your cast, let me yeah. know. I'm so inspired by the PodFest community, the podcast community as a whole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're here. We've When we did the, the live version of all my five girls that I was uh, casting, yeah. touch, so I appreciate the community. Absolutely. And the same goes for me. If I can do anything for your podcast, same here. I'd love to have you on my show again as well. And so, um, yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Well, I appreciate you and uh, let's catch up soon. Absolutely. Same here. Thanks, David. You bet. Thanks. Thank you for joining Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time and don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.